Hello, my name is Dr. Glenn Wallace, and it's great to welcome you to the Success ID podcast, where we introduce you to leading thinkers, practitioners, and contrarians who share their views on what it takes to lead yourself and others successfully. On this week's podcast episode, David Pilbeam and I review the episodes that we recorded and released in March. And here we create some new insights from these three very different topics, duty as success, winning as success, and communication as success. We also set up an opportunity for you to come and join us on next month's Success ID monthly mashup to review the episodes that we release in April. So listen out for how you can take part. Enjoy today's show. My name is David Pilbeam uh, and I'm here with the founder of Success ID, Glenn Wallace. Uh, and we're doing our, the third, actually, of our uh, monthly mashup podcast. I think that's what we're still calling them. We're still trying to be trendy and on, yeah. on, yeah, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> on point. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, three podcasts to review, Glenn. But, but before we do that, what's your sense of how things are going? I, I know you and I have spoken about it sort of regularly in between uh, these uh, monthly calls. Um, I, I'm just amazed by... Uh, and blown away by the support that the podcast has got. So, I, I, you know, I think this is a really good chance for us both to thank everyone that's listening. And when you look at the um, data uh, around it and look at the analytics around it, there's some really ama- <laughs> it's amazing that there are people in Iceland, the British Virgin Islands, Canada, New Zealand, UK, obviously, Germany, Sweden... Uh, and, and a little a little group in Maryland, uh, USA, who, who listen on a really regular basis. I, I find it incredible that you and I are are here, and the guests are, uh, uh, you know uh, who come on the podcast, you know, are literally speaking to people all around the world. I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of blown away by that whole idea. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And 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 what what we'd like to do um, is to offer a couple of. Um, listeners an opportunity to join us for the next monthly mashup um so if you are available uh on the 24th of april um at 11 o'clock to 12 30 uk time so that's gmt um and you'd be interested in reviewing being part of the reviewing conversation between david and i and you we'll get a couple of guests on who and can contribute to that monthly review uh, that would be fantastic. It'd be a lovely way to to reach out. And of course, it doesn't matter whether you're living in Iceland, UK, or Maryland, USA, wherever. Mm. Um, we can we can get you uh, on board that way. So that'd be fantastic. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and we'll love to have a couple of guests on board. And I I think if that goes really well, there's no reason why we wouldn't do that every time, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it'd be good to get some different voices, some different perspectives in the mashup. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah. So um, this time around, you you spoke to Katie, who was an expert in communications. Mr. Wallace, um, who talked about duty, yes. and um, an old, literally sparring partner, Neil Adams, on on winning. Um, but let's start with let's start with Katie on communications. Glenn, what, what, mm. what was going on for you in that one? Well, I'll tell you what was going on for me was quite different after the first 30 seconds. It was an, it was an amazing start and, and I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what she was going to do, but you know, the first 30 seconds or so after the introduction are basically silence and the two of us just yeah. breathing and practicing this 
yeah. rhythmic breathing. Mm. Um, what was quite bizarre was it, it would be easy to set that up and it, for it to be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a play to the audience. I, I genuinely had no idea, but also even I could tell that my voice had changed and the, and the tension was less mm. in my voice as a result of that. So I love that. I, it, was a, it reminded me a bit of, do you remember when we started the conversation with Tatiana and we you know, talked yeah. about personal development or self-development? And yeah, she went, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't really believe in self. And, <laughs> yeah. and Katie did the kind of similar thing. I thought it was lovely. And, and that's mm. perfect because it's kind of an expert showing you their, their stuff and giving you tips and tricks right off the get-go. So I thought it was fab. Um, so that was really, that was really great. I, I thought she gave a lovely, um, very easy um, to remember um, aid memoir, I guess, to great communication, um, which is the I, we and it kind of mm. idea. So this mm. idea that you think about your own state and what you're trying to achieve. Then you think about the dynamic between you and whoever you're trying to communicate with and that might be an individual or it might be a wider group and then think about the way that you form the message afterwards I, I found that incredibly helpful I've used it since actually mm. uh, both in written communication and spoken so I think that was uh, that was really helpful yeah. um, mm. I, and I really like this idea that communication isn't just talking and listening but she introduced this idea of a kind of being piece you know this idea that that there is something that happens between two people uh, during communication that couldn't happen if you were on your own. Yeah. It's both deep and affect and quite affecting actually. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some kind of magic in the space between two people. That's where the communication happens. That's where the magic of communication happens. It happens in the space. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, in the silences as much as in the, in, you know, in the spoken piece, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah and I, and, I, and I wonder just to push a little bit harder on that she also talked about which fascinated me this idea of map she talked about map and moving attention yes and yeah I, I wonder how, how you got on with that and I, I I have to say that I it, it was a bit that I I have I've struggled with to kind of work it through I, I, and, I and I'm not sure I need to go back to it if I'm being really honest mm. and go, okay, what, what does that mean in practically? I get it mm. kind of conceptually. Mm. Um, what does that mean for me and how do I do it? And I think that's, there was so much in that podcast mm. that um, I, I've taken away the bits that I've taken away and map wasn't necessarily one of the, one mm. of those um, bits for me particularly. Have you, is it something that you've used before? I know you well, know. Uh, Katie, something I really, I really like the idea of and uh, the idea of and it, and it, and it, and it sits well with, you know, this, this idea that, that we've written about, which is, you know, managing self, leading yeah. self. And a big part of that being, you know, where we place our attention, um, mm. particularly under pressure. Can we move our attention to our heart? Or can we move our attention to our breathing mm. uh, in order that we can bring ourselves into a coherent state and yeah. what you described doing at the beginning of the podcast with Katie. Mm. Uh, and, and from there, you're going to, you just are going to communicate more effectively. Um, yeah. And I love that idea that you can, it, by doing that well, you keep that uh, sort of high level thinking, mm. you know, access to that high level thinking rather than you sort of either sort of resorting to your default style or or actually that the you know you end up 
going into the sort of Neanderthal brain piece and you, you know, you, you're just not thinking in quite the same way. I really like that. In fact, after that um, recording of that podcast, um, one of the things I know that Katie does is she helps people train that ability that you've just discussed mm. by using kind of biofeedback. So you, you put a, your finger inside a something that will measure your pulse and measure the amount of breathing that mm. you do in a minute. Mm. And so, and she was kind enough to loan me that little bit of kit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, because I've been on holiday, I've, I've not had a chance to practice it, but I will practice it because I think that biofeedback and, and train it, I think it is, a, and she said this, you know, you can train yourself to yeah. do that better. Um, yeah. And I could see where biofeedback would be a really helpful tool for that. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, and I think my sense from what she was saying around that was, you know, there are people who kind of move naturally to um, what we would perhaps call mindfulness, um, or have the, the discipline of meditation built into mm. their day. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and there are, there are skeptics. Um, and, and I think the tool that she describes could be really useful for the skeptic that, you know, the, 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 the person who perhaps was looking for more hard evidence about its effectiveness before they'd even consider doing it. Yeah. Actually having a tool that you, you know, wiring yourself up to a piece of equipment, yeah. that gives you data and in the moment data yeah. uh, can be helpful both in terms of uh, the practice itself and, and winning you over. I think I, that, that was my sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the, that's where I would be honest enough to say I've not done as much actually with it as there was on offer to do, if that makes sense. So mm. there's, and I think that's true of almost all of the podcasts. I think there's so much to take away from each. Mm. Um, is perhaps selecting the bit which you think has most resonance for you in the moment. I, I, in fact, I was had a conversation this morning where I needed to be in the best state possible. So I was very mindful of using the breathing piece, you know, mm. but I, I, I wasn't strapped up to the biofeedback. But, mm. I, yeah, it's just lovely to be able to take these tips away. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I think in that sense, it's, you pick from each of these the bits that seem to resonate or be most important for you right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I guess there was that there was that kind of, if you like, surprise element around the nature of communication and effectiveness within communication. But there was also sort of a, a, a really helpful reinforcement of some of the oldest, what I would call the older stuff, you know, knowing your audience, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, doing your preparation. Yeah. Um, I, I, is that, was that your sense of it too? It was a good blend of both the... It, you know, it old, was. New, yeah, it really was. And, I, and I, what I really yeah. liked was that it wasn't all about keynote speaking. You know, it was, mm. it was actually just about communication that most of us would be doing on a day-to-day basis, which again, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Um, I, it reminded me of, or, or there were echoes of um, Noel McDermott's uh, podcast, for example, on, you know, just that mindfulness and that connectedness. And Katie talked about eye contact. And if you remember, Noel talked about the power of eye contact mm. from, a, from a mental well-being perspective. Katie talked about it in relation to effective communication. And I, I, I'm really interested by seeing the, big, the overlaps of so many of these. You know, where, if we were going to pull out some of the, you know, some of the themes from all of them, you know, are there one or two things that run through almost all? I'm beginning to get a sense there are some consistent core elements to each, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think if you if you look at the these three specifically, I and mean, Katie talked about um, communication, and my sense of it at least was she talked about communication being a performance, mm. <laughs> and and I think 
you know, just jumping uh, around the sequence a little bit. Is if you move to Neil on on winning, yeah, a, a lot of what Neil talked about was was performance focus, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and and so what you'd expect from a former world champion, right? Yeah, yeah. So so Neil is somebody you you know you you, you developed a really instant rapport with somebody you said you hadn't seen for thirty years. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that relationship, then, Glenn. Well, it's interesting because I, I didn't. Um, press on it too hard during the podcast itself um but we were in the same weight group uh, when i was a judo international and he was a, he won't mind me saying a few years older than than i and so and he was already incredibly well established at that point he was already the world champion um five times european champion so he was in a different class to me altogether but um in 1988 uh, had he been injured um, I was you know, next in, in line or at least for consideration to go to the Olympics. And so we never competed actually directly against each other. We just always managed to miss each other, although we were in the same competition often. Um, but what I'd really liked about him when I was competing was he just seemed, he wasn't flash, he wasn't arrogant, um, had time for people, always was quick to smile. And I kind of looked at him and went, if you, if you were going to be a champion – he would be a good role model to mm. to sort of take on. Mm. And so I was just delighted when I, I generally stumbled upon, across him on uh, Twitter, I think, recently, and thought he would be fab for this. He would just be so cool. And as you say, the rapport was easy because he's such a lovely guy, genuinely mm. such a lovely, generous. And his wife's fabulous as well, Nikki. She's a former Olympian herself. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so quite a high-powered couple, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> but, definitely. And, definitely. And again, he he talked. You know what I quite liked about him again was was wasn't winning yes important, and he acknowledged the importance of it, particularly in a sporting context or and some elements of a business context. But he really focused on the learning that you take from the winning and the losing, mm. you know, and and using the that as a vehicle for lessons that you can draw. Yeah, yeah, and I loved it. It really struck with me at the beginning where he said, "You know, not everybody can win, right?" Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so true, isn't it? You know, you are always competing against, particularly in that field, you're always competing against somebody. Yeah. And, and only one person can win that bout. And, 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 and then he went very quickly to say what you've just said, which is, so it's about what you learn. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that makes it not a, um, not a zero sum game in, mm. in the sense that, you know, it, it, sport is it winning and losing, right? So in order for somebody to win, somebody's got to lose. Yeah is broadly true of, of most of that, or well, certainly in, in judo it is. Mm. Um, but, but actually, I think what he was suggesting was a really good reminder for all of us, which is actually it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game if you look at what you can take from the experience. Mm. And mm. so you might not walk away with a medal, but you've walked away with something. And to some extent, you might actually walk away with something that was more valuable than the medal. Because yeah. I don't know if you remember, but one of the things I did ask him about was, whether people are as quick to review their wins as they are mm. to review their losses. Mm. And I'm not sure, well, as a personally experienced, if I, if I won something, I, I was just moving on to the next mm. thing and didn't reflect on it anywhere near as deeply as I would for the losses, which were many, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I had plenty of opportunity to reflect. But do you know what I mean? I thought, mm. it, was interesting, I thought it was a really interesting takeaway that, that a loss still has value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he, and, and you know, some of the crossover into what Katie was talking about revealed itself part way through, didn't it? When he talked about, you know, his switch from 
competing mm. uh, to to um, to being a commentator on TV. Yeah, and 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 this idea of being you know internally driven towards success. Um, you know, I think he said you know being rubbish at first and wanting to get better <laughs> was yeah. what motivated him towards success. Yeah, and and I know this is going to age me somewhat, but but I, I think I mentioned it. I, I don't know if I mentioned it in the podcast. Actually, I can't remember, but. Um, I remember watching a Parkinson, which is a, a, a classic um, interviewer of, on the BBC some, some years back now. But he, he interviewed Muhammad Ali, the great yeah. boxer. Mm. And Muhammad Ali said, if I'd have been a, a, a refuse collector, I'd have been the best refuse collector mm. in the world. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I know that was true of Neil. You know, if, if, mm. I, if I'm going to be a commentator and switch from one, one discipline to another, I'm mm. going to be the best I can possibly be. Mm. And that reminded me of Ashley uh, Abernathy's conversation where, you know, he talked about building a team mm. with the very best technicians yeah. uh, in software development that yeah. they could be. And you think, yeah, that's really, that's a really cool statement to have up front. So it's not necessarily about winning. It is genuinely about developing yourself and, the, and others to be the best they can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was a there was a, some interesting moments towards the end of the podcast when when you you began to explore with Neil um, this idea of you know, something about the UK culture hmm. means that you know we don't we don't value success mm. uh, or, or or we look down our nose at successful people mm. and and it kind of. I almost wanted to hear more about that. I mean, I, I don't know, even off off mic was there was there more going on. I, I think, uh, look, it's a, it's, there's a gross generalisation alert, right, for, for that, which is uh, I've long felt that, um, that the UK has held a position of wanting to undermine winners mm. and, and therefore it's not in your interest to be a winner if, you, if you're fairly sort of mm. skinned. Mm. Um, but actually, if you're driven and you want to be the best, um, you know, I think there are lots and lots of examples of people who are who don't care about the opinion of others, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It's just that mm. won't be the defining um, determinant of mm. their drive for to succeed, mm. and and that's so. Therefore, you're succeeding despite the the kind of culture and the context. I think. Yeah, and, and I wanted to connect that thinking, which again, which is something he touched on, Neil touched on towards the end which was the fear of success. Yeah. And whether that's something that comes from the inside um, or, or, it's, or it's driven by the cultural piece. Yeah, good point. How, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Did you have any insight sort of in the moment around that? Um, uh, no, but that is, a, that is a good point. I don't, think, I don't think that thought had crossed my mind at the time, but it is a, it's an important one which is, again, come back to the point, which is you, you, as a winner, somebody that's driven to win and to be the best that you can be, you might need to manage the external, <laughs> mm. uh, the external picture of that. Or what do they call What's the, the optics is the latest yeah, phrase. Yeah. You know, yeah. the optics around that and how you manage it. Mm. And, and typically, uh, again, a bit of a stereotype, but typically British people are quite understated about mm. their achievements, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an internal lens there to that optic. <laughs> I'm going to push a bit more on that yeah, yeah. analogy. The, 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 there's an internal piece which is, 
you know, can I really handle this success myself? Mm. Um, and there's an external piece, which is uh, how will other people look at me now I've delivered this success? Will, yeah. will other people, will my boss, for example, to translate it into work, expect more of me? Yeah. Now I've delivered this this success. And does does this success lead me to a place of even greater pressure? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I've certainly, uh, I didn't worry, I didn't personally struggle with fear of defeat um, or fear of failure as a, as an athlete, but I did, I did have that um, fear of success, which is flipping it. I'm not sure I can step up again mm. you know, to the next level. Mm. And I think that was a more, more of an inhibitor to me than, than it was. And you could understand, and I, I, I'm sure you've had this. I've had it, a, I've had it a shed load of times over the last 18 years of leading, uh, of coaching leaders is lots of people say to me, oh, I don't want the next, I don't want the next step up. Mm. I, I just I'm looking at it and I'm thinking I don't want that kind of life and yeah, I think yeah. some of it is is an is an assessment of the lifestyle that goes with stepping up mm. um, and some of the sacrifices mm. I think some of it is just don't want the pressure and the accountability and that's, I'm not saying that's right or wrong but I do wonder whether that's a version of fear of success as much as anything else yeah and 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 a version also of you know the possibility at least of some self deception there yeah um yeah you know, a story we tell ourselves to make ourselves somehow feel more comfortable when actually our, our, we truly desire you know exactly what it is we're pushing back against mm. um interesting yeah interesting. yeah it is it is and i think the without making too much of a of a leap there that the other thing that I, I think the context and culture piece was genuinely something I hadn't considered when I was talking with, um, Brian slash dad, uh, you know, when he talked about <laughs> the culture of duty being very contextual to, or at least his, his view was that, you know, duty was something that the post world war two society had thrust upon them in many ways, you know, because people were returning from service and I'd never really thought about the, building a culture where duty you know from think about it from a leadership perspective or in leading a team i never really thought about building a culture of duty mm. um i kind of assumed it was something that was internal it was a value that people held perhaps mm. i never really thought about it being impacted by the context but i thought it was a really good insight yeah i think it was a terrific insight and it linked back to and i'm sorry i've forgotten the uh the lady on who was from a previous podcast who was running a charity um, yeah susie susie yeah mm. and and she she talked about this sense of duty in a very similar way mm. and how she had created a culture where people felt as they were very much in service of something greater yeah working for some 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 greater good uh, now it's, it it feels different and yet similar to what your dad talked about. Um, yes, and I think the different. I think you're right, and I think one of the differences is that you know he was talking about um, in the in the police force. You know, the, it is a duty. You are there to provide a public service. That is the duty that you that yep. you have. But actually, on a on a team level, actually, he wanted people to be doing the best work they could do because that was what drove them or they were mm. motivated to do that for each other. And he gave quite graphic examples mm. of, you know, being a part of the underwater uh, search team. And, and if you were on top of the surface while one of your mates was underneath mm. in muggy 
dirty, horrible water searching for who knows what. Mm. You know, you needed to want to help them rather than feel felt duty bound to help mm. them. Mm. Um, and I, I thought that was an interesting way that he drove uh, that kind of leadership culture mm. within and across the group. Uh, who many of whom I, I knew as a young mm. adult myself, and they were they were a special group of people. Yeah, and you you started to get into and 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 with the extra insight you can provide from having met a lot of these guys. Yeah, what 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 was it your dad was doing that meant that people really wanted to do it? I, I think he touched on the fact that you know basically didn't. If worst comes to the worst, he had he had the ability to call on his seniority in a disciplined service to be able mm. to go, well, it, you, you need to do it because I've told you to do it. But, mm. but actually he didn't want to go down that road. No. No. And, and one of the things he identified very centrally, and it came across a couple of times as only dad could uh, in the, in the podcast, you know, he's got a very dry sense of humor mm. and they, I know there was a dark sense of humor and I've worked as a teacher for the first 10 years of my life. And I know you did, you know, a, a school staff room is equally full of what we might call dark humour. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's something about this, the ability to decompress using it. I, I think people who might be dropped into that kind of context might feel it was, you know, either harsh or, or inappropriate or whatever. I think mm. most people in there know what it is and it's quite binding and also a way to manage the stress, I think, of the situations. And I, I've got no doubt that humour was a key part of how he helped bind that team together. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's your sense of the, the, the thought then that you, you, your dad started out with, which, which was, you know, whether, this, whether it is in fact an old idea, you know, duty is an old idea, and, and, and actually in many senses organisations are setting about trying to create a culture and it, and it relative to that feeling that, existed in your dad's team and, and mm. for people who were um, building businesses post-war. Yeah. That, 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 that it was a, you know, there's a danger that we, we, we try to build this sense of duty and it feels artificial. Mm. Uh, whereas it was absolutely genuine back in the day. Yeah. And what I, what I liked was he wasn't saying there weren't, there weren't, cause he, he was quick to correct me, which was, which was right, which is he wasn't saying that, there aren't lots of people today who aren't driven by a sense of duty. I think what he was saying was that that broad, more broadly, a society generally, just because of the context they've just come out of, you know, seven years of, of war, mm. you know, and all, and all its atrocities and everything else, that there was a sense of duty that pervaded the wider society, which may not be as present today. Yeah, yeah. And so I, 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 I think that was a good counter to my... I don't know whether it was my error or, or a possible misinterpretation. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I think he did a really good job of that, and and I and I would agree with him in the sense that well, I can't, I can't speak for what it was like, but duty feels just as a word, it feels a bit old-fashioned. Um, but is, does that just because it feels old-fashioned doesn't make it any less important? Was the thought I came away with? No, no. And I, and I, and I, and I wonder whether it connects somewhat with, with purpose, Glenn. I mean, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a strong connection with, with purpose here, isn't there? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, I, and I, I would think if you've got a clear sense of duty, you, to some extent, 
you need you would need to have a purpose to mm. to to align that duty too you know mm. um and I, I would think they're i wouldn't say interchangeable but i would think they're probably close cousins of each other yeah 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 and and, and i wonder then where where, where the we, we often on this podcast talk about you know be, there being threads between the uh, the, the different conversations mm. um, that are starting to reveal themselves. I mean, what, what, what's your first thought on on what those might be? I think the um, there's certainly something around uh, again this this idea of being other people focused, and so I think that was true of duty for sure. I think it's also true of communication. You, you might argue you have a duty to communicate um, from an empathetic standpoint rather mm. than from a self-driven standpoint. And I quite mm. like that kind of idea, mm. that there is an empathetic piece to both of those, for sure. Mm. Um, probably less empathy uh, on the winning piece, um, but, but nonetheless, I think there's those, the, the first two uh, hang together quite nicely in lots of respects. Mm. Um, I, I think there's something about you couldn't communicate effectively without constantly getting feedback from the audience that you are working with, I would guess, and whether that was an audience of one or an audience of thousands, I guess. Mm. Um, so the feedback loop becomes important. And I think feedback is vital to getting better and better at, in terms of um, a performance-oriented in, environment. And Neil talked about you know, learning, mm. as we mentioned, and you can't learn unless you've got feedback. So there are kind of connections there, I think. I, I can't... Like these are these are three quite different ones, and I, and I can't find a common, obvious common thread between the three. Are you? Is there anything that sort of jumps out for you that would tie them all together? Oh, and I think I think ultimately they both they both speak to me as performance arenas or okay. high performance arenas. So, yeah. so communication, effective communicators see their work. I think as if I'm reading Katie's words correctly, you know, as performance. Yeah. And I, and I think um, your dad was describing a lot of the work that he did, particularly the, the you know, the high-performing team, which was the, you know, the dive team. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Neil, of course, in that sporting environment, was talking about performance almost all of the time. Mm. And, and I think that, for me, is, 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 is the big connection. And... and performance um so two principal containers there under under the banner of performance that that uh, strike me from the, the three very different conversations as you say is you know managing self and managing your internal state um and then learning yeah. and and where you take your learning whether you take your learning as a team in, in terms of a dive team or whether you take your learning from feedback from the audience, mm. or whether you take your, your learning from, um, as feedback from your coach. Yeah. Um, you know, very, it's all about, as Neil said so brilliantly, you know, it's all about getting better at what you do. What are you learning? Not everybody can win, but we can all get better at what we do and how we do it. Mm. Um, and one of the things that really struck me, um, particularly about Neil's, um, conversation 
Mm. Was, was the number of times he said, and I, I, I lost count. Uh, I, I need to go back and probably count them up. Right. The number of times he said that... You've got way too much time on your hands, you realise that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, num- the, the number of times he referred to his loss in the first of those Olympic finals as, I made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I was really intrigued by that. And, I, and I, perhaps I was looking at it too deeply. But, but he was very precise in his language and he was very careful to say it the way he said it. Yeah. Um, to, to not toss it away as, um, oh, I made a mistake, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Um, it was, no, I made a mistake and this was the mistake and this is what I've learned from that mistake. Yeah. And I think that, that summed up for me the essence of all three of these, actually, that, that, the, the deliberateness of it, the performance yeah. element of yeah, it. I don't know whether that makes any sense. It really does. No, I hadn't thought about that. And, and, and he, he owns that mistake 100%. Yeah. And, and it, it, that doesn't mean it doesn't still rankle. And it was clear yeah. when he talked about it, it, it still hurt. Yeah. And it would, right? Because the, there's, no, there's nobody else to look at in, in relation to that. I, he, he compared it to a couple of other competitions where he genuinely felt that you know, his performance was, would, should have been sufficient to have won. Yeah. But he didn't. And that's the kind of, you know, when you put human beings as, as referees in these things, there is always going to be some, and he didn't, he didn't put the blame on them, but he just went, yeah, I, I'm pretty convinced having looked at it. Yeah. I won. But, but that one, he, he owned that mistake, as he called it, 100%. Mm. Mm. I thought it was, um, yeah, so, and it's coming back to me now, you know, it, it, he, he sort of, when you asked Neil for his, you know, his big, biggest takeaway of all, mm. um, I, I think that relates to the other two as well. You know, um, and when he said a ship is safe in the harbour, yeah. but it's not what it was built for. Yeah. You know, if, 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 you, if you're going to get better in a high performance arena, Mm. you are going to, you are going to encounter difficult situations. You are going to make mistakes and errors. Uh, and you're going to, you're going to learn and grow as a result of just putting yourself into those, um, very testing environments, yeah. very testing arenas. Yeah. Um, you're not going to learn how to communicate better, although it's a good start point, um, at communication, uh, you know, uh, through sitting down and, you know, looking internally, you've actually got to get out and start communicating with some people. Seeing yeah. what impact it has on you and seeing what impact it has on others. Yeah, and Katie talked about the idea of, you know, good communicators, you know, have to have, ultimately have to have confidence in yourself. Yeah. And, and that resonated with Keith Antoine's preparation conversation about, you know, ultimately the big takeaway is at some point you've got to learn to trust yourself. Yeah. To do, to do what you need to do. And I, and I, I, I think there's a, there, you're absolutely right. There, there is, there's a bravery, there's a courage, I think, that comes with, uh, you know, setting out to win or setting out to communicate effectively, you know, because you could be haphazard about it or you slapdash about it and not worry about it. But I think yeah. if you set your stall out and, yeah. and you have a clear idea of what those outcomes would be, um, then that yeah. feels like a, yeah, really important, actually. Really important. Nicely done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I would, I would say, you know, just as a last, a last thought in summary from me, Glenn, is, is, is the, the, the role of the heart and and you know and again Neil Neil surprised me with this when he when he when he when he talked about you know being a technician actually and yeah. I came across as a technician in the world of judo yeah. but but the move to commentary 
and 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 being driven by wanting to get better and better and uh, at what he does and, and and his learning that if you commentate from the heart mm. something some magic happens mm. and i think that would be true from the point of view of what katie was saying as well about if you communicate from the heart that you know that's where the magic is yeah and 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 actually, you know, I, I don't want to make a, a wrong leap to your dad's world, but, but, but my sense would be, you know, there's a, a duty connects to the heart. It does. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. yeah um, sure. um, so, so, you know, and if you have a, a, a duty in many ways is, is a heartfelt thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that comes from deep inside. Um, and so for me, there's a huge, there's a huge connection there. Yeah, and I wonder whether you just struck actually on the on the sort of superordinate thought theme of the three, which is really it's it is about connecting to self and heart, particularly um, as as the thing that connects them. I think performance does too, but I think the connection to heart resonates for me at least as yeah. having having sat through each with the individual. The one thing I would say I came away with having seen the whites of their eyes, so to speak, mm, mm. was that there was a, that heart piece was, is central to, to all three of them. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Great stuff, Glenn. Thanks Thank very much. You. And we, we look forward to the next three and, and then to um, doing a, a, another mashup uh, towards the end of April um, with some new friends. Yeah, hopefully. So just a reminder for, for listeners, um, if you're available on the 24th, uh, Wednesday the 24th of April at uh, 11 to 12.30 UK time, that's GMT, and you would like to be considered for part of the next mashup, as David's just said, then um, drop me a note, Glenn Wallace, or Glenn P. Wallace on uh, LinkedIn. Um, connect me with me anyway. It'd be lovely to connect with as many of you uh, as we can. And But, it, you know, in the connection response uh, request, just let me know that you'd be interested in it and then we'll reach out with, with you um, and sort of set that up. So really looking forward to that. It should be great fun. Great stuff. Thanks, Glenn. Cheers, David. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Success ID podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to and learning more about how you can lead yourself and others successfully. My challenge to you is to take the ideas and wonderful content that our guests provided during March and find a way of putting some of it to work today. Show notes are available on www.successid.co.uk. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Success ID podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher. We look forward to welcoming you to the next episode.